much. All right, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 11. And before we get into this, what I want to, I want to just start with, um, in our house, we love youth sports. Actually, we kind of love it and hate it all at the same time, okay? I don't know if you've been involved with youth sports, but it can have that sort of relationship. But I want to share two of my favorite memories of youth sports, high school sports in particular. Um, the first of which was our second son, Eli, playing basketball. And one of my favorite memories was um, our big rival at Woodbridge High School is Beckman High School, okay? And um, any Beckmanites here? Okay, half a hand, which means we can talk freely about Beckman High School. Okay, um, but they, we were playing them in basketball, and they were our big basketball rivals, and, and this, was a big, this was a big game. And um, the thing at Beckman is Beckman kind of, they pack the gym, and we wanted to go, and we wanted to make a difference, you know, to make a difference in, in cheering. And so um, not a lot of, there wasn't, it wasn't, it was, I don't want to say it was a down year, but there weren't as many fans. This was pre-pandemic, um, back when people could yell and scream in sporting events. Um, but so what happened was Kelly went out, and she bought um, these rubber chickens, that made, that squeaked when you squeaked them. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I think you can get them. I don't even know where, I forget where she got them, but she got a whole bunch of these, and we got all of Eli's friends, and we brought them to the game, and we were there. We're ready to cheer, ready to cheer, and like, look, here's the, does anybody know what it's like when you're a visitor? When you're a visitor, there's no place for you to sit, and so we're like way back, we're on the other side, and it's like six of us, and we're all, and we've all got these rubber chickens against like, I mean, it felt like thousands of people, right? It was probably a few hundred, but it felt like thousands. And like when they would get to the free throw line, the other team, and we wanted to distract them, here we are with the rubber chickens, right? And like it's us versus the world, but it was one of the greatest sporting experiences of my life, Okay? I just want to say that, but so that's, that's one of my favorite, we, we didn't actually win that game, but we did win league the next year, yes, there, so yeah, um, all that to say, one of my favorite sporting events um, of my lifetime, we were visitors. Now, my oldest son, Wesley, he was a baseball player, this is one of my second, not, they're, they're like tied, 1A, 1B, okay. Another one of my favorite sporting events was when Wesley was a senior, he was a baseball player. Now, again, baseball, three-hour games, basketball, there's a clock. So there's, you know, all that to say. But what I, that year, um, I, at the home games, I was the announcer. I, I said, I'll, I'll do this. So, like, at the home game, I was the announcer. I had a microphone. I would announce the people who came up. I had an iPad with music on it. Everybody had walk-up songs, right? So I'd be playing their walk-up songs. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Okay, thank you very much. So, but we had great seats. Every time I knew I would have a seat, I knew I would be able to see balls and strikes because I'm right behind. I would get the lineup cards for both teams. I would know exactly who's on the visitor team, exactly who's on the home team. I would know what the lineups were. I'd know when there was a, a change being made. I would be able to play my music. Like in between innings, I'm like playing Earth, Wind, and Fire, you know, and I'm playing like hollow notes, right? It's like a, it was like the soundtrack to my childhood I'm playing. And of course, like, for some reason or another, at every baseball game, you have to play an ACDC song. I don't know what that is all about. But anyway, I'm playing these songs, and I'm playing walk-up songs and everything. And the cool thing about home games that year was not just that I could announce, and Kelly would sit next to me because we had seats, right? But that um, Nate, who was younger at the time and still playing baseball at the time, he would be the bat boy for the team, so Nate was down there like learning a lot of bad words in the dugout, I'll just say that, okay? 
But all that to say, like, when it came time for the last game, the last league game of the year, win this game, you go to the playoffs. And my oldest son, I, I remember this because it was, it was a tight game. This was against Corona Del Mar. It was a tight game. But, like, he, he, got, the, he got the hit that, that loaded the bases in the last inning, and then it ended, it ended on a hit-by-pitch. I know, horrible. Like, it's one of those things, like, if you're the home team, that's awesome, but if you're the visitor, ah, right? Hit by pitch. So the batter in the batter's box gets hit by the pitch, and then they get a free walk to the base. Thank you. We can talk about that later, uh, Brenda. That's good. I appreciate the responsiveness, though. This is the way we work, okay? But <laughs> all that to say, it was awesome because, like, then everybody's, like, jumping around water bottles, and my son's, like, throwing a banana in the whole thing. It was awesome. Like, it was so good. We were the home team. And I think the idea that there is a very different experience when you're the home team as when you're the visitor. Then we went to the playoffs and we went up to La Mirada and there was like nowhere for us to sit and I wasn't like playing Hall and Oates or anything like that. Like we were the visitors, okay? And there's a very different experience about what it was like to be the home team versus being the visitor. And in our passage today, this is sort of the sense that the Apostle Paul is talking about when he's talking about salvation. And the audience of the book of Ephesians, as Paul recounts it, when it came to salvation, they were the visitors. They were the visiting team. They were the ones that didn't have the seats. They were the ones who didn't have the privilege. They weren't playing their music. They weren't singing their songs. They were the visitors. And so what I want to do today is I just want to look at this passage, look at this idea of being, a home, being at home or a visitor when it comes to salvation, and talk through a little bit of this passage. You guys with me? You're like, I don't even know how that's going to even tie together, but hang with me. It'll make sense. I mean, these are the promises, right? Okay, so open up your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, and look at verse 11. It says this, the Apostle Paul writing, Therefore, remember at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, as we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, there's, there's sometimes when we come to the book of Ephesians where we need to kind of get into kind of the wayback machine and, and define some terms because there's some terms that might seem familiar where you're like, I don't even know what that means. But one term that shows up here is when Paul calls them, you were at one time Gentiles, all right? What, what, what is a Gentile? And here's the idea. So the Apostle Paul is, is, in, is using really, when he writes, he's writing from a Jewish mindset, a Jewish mindset. And if you were Jewish in your Jewish mindset, the Jewish mindset divided the world into two different types of people, the children of God and everybody else. Okay? Either the children of God, the people of God, and the rest of humanity. The people of God were the children of promise. They were the ones that were given the covenants. They were the ones that God had revealed himself to in special ways. Not just in the creation, but in special ways. They received the Torah. They received, they, they had, they were in a sense of privileged, they were in a privileged position before God. 
the rest of humanity were outsiders. They were outside the covenant. They were not receivers of the, of the Torah or the covenant. The rest of humanity, and this is where the word Gentiles come from, the rest of humanity, if you read the Old Testament, the rest of humanity was what was known as uh, hagoyim, the goyim. And goyim means, and in Greek, if you were reading it in Greek, it would be, they were ta-ethne. That it translates into the nations. You had the people of God, and you had the nations. And that word, in this passage, the word that's translated as Gentiles is the, is the word, or the two words, ta-ethne, the nations. You were at one time the nations. In other words, you were the visitors. Like if you were Jewish, right? Like when it came to God, when it came to the God of Israel and salvation, if you were the people of Israel, you were the home team. You had the privilege. You had the home field advantage. The nations, they only got what you told them. They only had seats if you gave them seats. They were the visitors. And so this division of Jew-Gentile, it's the people of God, the people of Israel, and you've got everybody else. And so in the history of Israel, sometimes, uh, particularly in times of strength, there was a more positive relationship between the two, between the nation of Israel and the nations. Like if you read in, uh, after David, uh, he, he arises to king and his son Solomon. You guys know the stories of Solomon. Solomon, this was a golden age that, that Solomon was wise and there was wealth and the, the kings and queens of the nations would come to Israel and bring tribute to him. And they would come to hear his wisdom. You guys remember, you, you know this, that they would come. And this was the way that there was, there was going to be this, this blessing to the nations. And this is when God made the covenant with, with Abraham way, way back. The idea was that, Abraham, you are going to be the father of many nations. The na- your nation is going to be a blessing to all the other nations. And in times of strength, the nation of Israel really embraced this, particularly during Solomon's reign. And we, we read about that and we think about that, that, that the goyim, the nations, would have access to God through the representation of Israel. And the king of Israel would be an important piece of that, like Solomon was an important piece for the nations to hear about the blessings and the truth of God. And the king of Israel was known as the, the anointed one, the, the one who was anointed. And over the years, over the years, there would be difficult times with the nations. And sometimes with the nation of Israel, their posture towards the goyim, ta'ethne, the nations, the Gentiles, would be a little bit strained. And there would be some resentment. And particularly when Israel was not at its strongest and at the mercy of the nations, there would be a little bit of hostility towards the nations. Sometimes you'll hear this a little bit like when you read Psalm 2. Psalm 2 begins with, why do the goyim rage? Why do the nations rage? And it goes through and it talks about this idea that the people's plot in vain and the kings of the earth, the Gentiles, they set themselves up and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed one. But what does God do? (laughs) He laughs at them. And you can see a little bit of this. You can see some of the tension over the years between the people of God 
even though the people of God are to be a blessing to the Gentiles, to the Goyim, to the nations, that sometimes there is, there's animosity, there's hostility between the two. And we even read in the book of Ezekiel that because the nation of Israel abandoned God and went to the Gentiles for help against the Babylonians, that they not only went to them for help, but they also took their idols with them and on them. And it was because of that that they went into captivity. And one of the things that we see, especially when the time Paul writes this, when the time Jesus walks on the earth and the time that Paul is writing this, they've come back from, they've come back from Babylonian exile, but what they've done is they have built walls. Literally, they have built walls. The people of God have decided when we rebuild the temple, what we really need around the temple is a really good wall that's going to keep the wrong people out and protect, and maybe some of this sensibility you could, you, you could make a case for, to protect the holiness of God. We've got to build a wall to keep the wrong people out. And actually, if you go today um, to the Istanbul Museum, and there's one of these also in the, in the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, um, you can find a placard that they found at the temple. And on this placard, there was this inscription that basically said this, Gentiles are not allowed in here. And, any, and anyone who does come in here, their ensuing death will be on their own head. Right? Like, like it's not exactly like welcome to Taft Avenue Community Church, right? So like, you, you get the idea that there was, when they came back, especially when they came back from exile, there was this heightened sense we got into this because we got in bed with the nations. Now we've got to, we got to set up a wall. And literally, there are, there are walls. And some of those walls still stand today. But those signs, they actually it not just found one, but they found other ones. And when they, the, found, the one they found in, in Israel that's in the Jerusalem Museum, they actually had painted in red. Like red. It's like, you know, the, in blood. It's like, you come in here, you're dead meat, you Gentiles. And so you have this, in some ways to honor the holiness of God, but in some ways to keep the goyim out, to keep the Gentiles out. And by the time of Jesus and Paul, when Paul wrote this letter that we're reading, the relationship between the people of Israel and the nations, the Gentiles, was a very strained relationship. Now, if you were Jewish and you were in Jerusalem, home field advantage right? Home field advantage. You had your own DJ calling up, you know, you, you know, you get the idea. You had your own, you played your own songs. You ate your own food. It was all on your terms. And you were able to control to a certain degree. Even though they had Gentile oppressors in there, those Gentile oppressors gave them control of the temple. They had the temple. They were able to keep whoever they wanted in or out of the temple. And actually, in, in Acts 21, we actually read when we went through our Acts series, there was a time when the Apostle Paul comes back to Jerusalem, and they actually arrest him because why? They think he's brought a Gentile into the temple. This tension is very much alive in the day of Paul and even of Jesus. And as you can imagine, this is a far cry from the Abrahamic charge of you will be a father to many nations, you'll be a father your nation will be a blessing to all the other nations. 
Even the Jews who lived outside of Israel, this is what we call, if you were Jewish and you lived outside of Israel, it was called the dispersion, the diaspora. But even then in the diaspora where this is being written to, you could have a, a, you could have a synagogue and you had these markers that would make people know and make it very clear that you were indeed different from them. For, for Jew, if you were a Jew living outside of Israel, even if you were a Jew living inside of Israel, it would be this idea, we circumcise our, our boys, we keep Sabbath, and we obey food regulations, dietary laws. It was very clear, it was a very clear distinction. And actually, where this is written to, we talked about the seven church region, that the largest synagogue that has been found in the ancient world is in Sardis, which is only about 120 miles away from Ephesus. It's part of that seven church trade loop. And so you have this, uh, you can go there, you can walk on the, on the frescoes on the, on the ground, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful place. But they would be set apart as different. And here's the deal, people of Israel, the nations, whether you were at home or whether you were in the diaspora as an away player, there was a lot of hostility from not only from, toward, from the Jews towards the Gentiles, but there was a lot of hostility from the Gentiles towards the people of Israel. There was a lot of skepticism, hostility, and gatekeeping. On one end, it was the Gentiles had hostility towards Jews uh, in the diaspora, but in Jerusalem, you would amplify that, and there was a lot of this skepticism and gatekeeping toward the Gentiles. And this is essentially the environment into which the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. Listen to 2.12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, separated from Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So think about it in this context. It says, hey, you, you Ephesians, remember, you were at one time, remember that Messiah, that king, that anointed one, who is supposed to deliver to you wisdom like Solomon did and deliver you information about who God is? You were at one time separated from that anointed one. That you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Another way to think about that is you were alienated from the citizenry of Israel, that, that there was enmity, like you were alienated from, these Jew, from the people of God. They didn't like you. And then it says you were strangers to the covenants of promise. The covenant is the idea when God comes down and he says, hey, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And Paul says, remember, that wasn't you. You were alienated from that. Any sense of God partnering with them was foreign to them. And the ultimate result for the nations, the Gentiles, the Ephesians, this last phrase, having no hope and without God in the world. No hope of salvation. They were visitors. You are the visiting. When it comes to salvation, you are the visiting team and we did not save you a seat. No, uh, no hope without God, no access to the one true God. And also, it, no, no hope without God in the world, 
you were also in the world. Remember that this idea of this, in the world is the place where this web of this interlocking directorate of powers, like you have the corruption of the world, the, the, the fallenness of humanity, the personal devils and demons that are out there, the fallenness of your human flesh, human rulers, like you're at the mercy of that web that seeks to form you. No hope of salvation, no access to the one true God, and in the world ensnared in this web of anti-human and anti-God powers. And Paul says, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that. And I think there's a reason why he's going, he's going to do this. Look at verse 13. And of course, whenever we talk about, we talked about the bad news, there's always, there's good news because we're after, we're after the time that Jesus came. So whenever there's bad news and if Jesus is around, there's going to be good news. And this is the good news in 2.13. But now, in Messiah Jesus, it's interesting, now he's like, hey, not only are you, do you have access to Messiah, but you know his name. You know his name, Messiah Jesus. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So you've had this idea that you have access to Messiah. You, not only do you have access to the story of Messiah, you have access to the name of Messiah. You have access to the work of Messiah. You were far off, but you have been brought near. Talks about being brought near by the blood of, of Messiah. Okay, let me, let me talk about two ways that these Gentiles, and how we too, because we're going to talk about this. This is obviously what, what Paul is writing to them, but I, I want us to understand this too. There's two ways, because look, I, I am not Jewish. I'm not Jewish, okay? Uh, but, and, and this, is the, this is the thing about Christianity. Christianity at one time, when Paul's writing, is primarily a Jewish movement, it's primarily people who follow Jesus. Like, the people who follow Jesus were Jewish. And then they go into Gentile regions, and they start preaching about Messiah to the Gentiles. It causes a big stir. Like, that's the book of Acts. How does this all happen? But they go and they preach to them, and people, lo and behold, the Gentiles start to, they start to hear this, and they start to believe. They start to reorient away from their idols, and they reorient towards God. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing. They actually receive the blessings of Messiah. But there's a couple ways that this happens. And so for me, I, I'm a Gentile, and I have to remember that I was not born into this. I came late. I'm late to the party. This, I'm like these people, right? And this idea that what, what, what he explains is that you've been brought near by the blood of Messiah. And here's two ways. Two ways that you and I and the Ephesians and everyone who's Jewish is brought near to the Messiah. And that is this. The blood of Jesus offer, operates as a sacrifice for sins. Blood of Jesus, that blood cleanses from every sin. You can receive forgiveness even from Gentile sins. The worst, right? The worst sins. You've been brought near by the sacrificial blood of Jesus, but there's another reason why blood would be used, and that was if you were making a covenant with someone. We actually, whenever we, when we do the Lord's Supper here, and we read uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 
And we talk about the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, the body that's broken, do this in remembrance of me, but take this blood, the blood of the covenant. And what that blood does is the blood is saying, look, what is a covenant? A covenant is when you make a covenant with the people, when God makes a covenant with his people, he's saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. You have been brought near under this, what, what some people will call the new covenant or other people will call the renewed covenant, Jeremiah 31. That this happens in, in Exodus with Moses, right? On the hill he comes down and God makes his covenant with them. But in Jeremiah 31, there's coming a day where the covenant will be renewed. And the thing about the renewal of the covenant is it's not just going to be for the people of Israel. It's going to broaden the umbrella And it's going to bring people in that were formerly far off. You have been brought near by the blood that will forgive your sins, but it will also then be the blood in which God will say, you will be my person. I love you. I will be your God. You will be my people. And what Paul is saying to the Ephesians, you guys at one time were the visitors and you didn't have a seat. You didn't get to choose the music. You didn't get anything. You didn't get any privilege in this. And actually the people who had the privilege, they were the ones who were kind of locking you out. But now, God has come down and said, I've made a seat for you. I'm inviting you to the meal. I'm committing myself to you. I'm committing myself to you. To you. Whether this is a brand new work of God, I prefer to think of it as a renewed work of God. This is, Jeremiah 31 is not a new covenant, it's a renewed covenant in which God is saying, no, we're broadening the umbrella. It's not that it's these instead of these, it's yes, both. The blood of Jesus, he's our peace. It says that he's broken down the dividing wall of hostility. I love this. The, um, there's a great story of um, USC football. This was um, a number of years ago, but they were up in Washington. They were playing UW, the dogs, and they were a very physical team. And um, it, it, this is, I mean, do you ever watch any sports documentaries, whether it's like Lakers, Celtics, like the visitors' locker room is always small and hot, you know? And anyway, but um, when, uh, as it was when John Robinson was the coach and he, he was talking to the team and he's like, these guys, they're tough and we got to play hard. And the other team at that time, the, the Washington, the, is it the Huskies? What are they? The Huskies? Okay, what did I say? The dogs? Anyway, um, well, I'm not a Pacific Northwester. What can I say? Okay. They start, the, the, the Huskies team, they start banging on the wall. They're banging on the wall. And they're banging on the wall. John Robinson is trying to talk to his team, and they're banging on the wall. They bang on the wall so hard that the wall actually falls down. And here they are. They're both now in the same locker room. And John Robinson goes, well, there they are. <laughs> right? Like the, the wall has been broken down. In that case, it was unintentionally. But for, for God, like this wall is being broken down. I promise that not every illustration I give is a sports illustration, okay? Um, but this idea that God, the signage can be taken down. The signage not only can be taken down, the signage has to be taken down. 
Access to God does not depend on your ethnicity. It does not depend on your adherence to to man-made ordinances that have been added to the Torah. He goes on to say, you have been made one new man. Probably a better reading of that is he has created one new humanity. That the way you look at the world is not the people of God and everybody else. The way you look at humanity, it cannot be divided by ethnicity anymore. What, what now is, is the unifier of humanity is not your ethnicity or where you're born. What's the unifier of humanity is King Jesus. That you would find yourself under the, in a kingdom as a citizen of a kingdom in which you can bring your own ethnicity into this kingdom. You don't have to be born here to be part of this kingdom. You can actually come into this kingdom. As a matter of fact, God's going out and grabbing people of all nation, tribe, tongue, and he actually brags about it in in the book of Revelation. That there's going to be this this wedding banquet, there's going to be this feast, and it's going to be all these people from every tongue and tribe and nation that all come under the banner of the kingship of Jesus where no ethnicity can claim priority. Ephesians 2.17. He came and preached peace to you who were far off. And the Gentiles are like, man, we needed that. We needed Messiah to come and preach peace to us because we were, we were without hope. We were without access to the covenants. We were out without God in this world. But Messiah didn't come just to preach to them to offer peace, did he? He also came to preach to the home team. He came to preach peace to those who are far off, the Gentiles, and he came to preach peace to those who are near, the people of God, the people of Israel. Because it's not, it's not an exchange, it's a bigger umbrella. He came to preach peace to those who are far off, peace to those who are near. For through him, we have access in one spirit to the Father. We both come in. We both come to the Father, not in different ways. We come through the same way, the same blood, the same spirit, the same doorway, the same place, the same God, the same presence of God. We come the same way. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You have been brought into this kingdom. Better yet, Paul, I could even hear just Paul writing this like, this is a great analogy. They're, they're your fellow citizens. Better yet, you are fellow family members. You're in the household. You've been brought in. You're not just citizens. Like, it's almost like God's not, not, not content with like, like, being a citizen just means there's no, like, real relationship there. What we really need to say is, you're, you're family. You're in the family. You've been brought into this kingdom, but you need to understand you are family. And again, this is when, when God says he's going to bring someone near, it's not like an employer hires an employee. We talked about this last week. It's not, that's not, it's not like a patron does a favor for a client. This is about a father adopting children. God knows what kind of analogy he needs to use. He likes the citizen of a kingdom. That's a great analogy. But a better analogy is your now family. All right. A couple things about this. 
um, now that I'm pumped up. Okay. Um, home versus visitors. You guys ever experienced this? I'm a big Lakers fan. Like, we watch the 30 for 30, you know, Lakers versus Celtics. I get angry when I watch it, you know, because, you know, we're the home team. We're the home team. They are, you know, the, you know, like, burn that city down. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, you know, it's like that. But that can, be, that can be some of the tension that we experience. And sometimes, sometimes, um, sometimes that home versus visitors can make its way into areas of our lives that it doesn't really belong. Right? Like, there are times when that home versus visitors, like, it's one thing to put it on the playing field when it's kind of imaginary. I mean, the Lakers Celtics think it isn't imaginary, but, um, but there, there are times when, when, it's, when it's like Woodbridge versus Beckman, like, okay, like, we still have friends on the team, like, we took pictures with our friends at the end. Like, it's not like we, there's a, there's a real hatred there, right? But there are times where this home versus visitor does creep into our lives in unhealthy ways. I'm a third-generation Californian. My great-grandparents were immigrants. Um, two of my great-grandparents were actually born in California. So that makes me a, um, a third-generation Californian. Um, and, it, and I feel like I have some sense of what it means to be a Californian. Anybody else in here? No, you're like, no, I'm out of here. Like, the Texodus is real, right? Um, but, um, you know, like, I, there's, a, there's a sense of pride. Like, I grew up here. I know this place. I know the streets. I know the shortcuts. I know all the cool places. Like, I know this. And there's a sense of pride that can come. And sometimes on my worst days, I look at the new buildings going up, and I'm like, do we need anybody else here? Do we really need more people? And, like, someone new comes in down the street, and, like, the... the more and more, it's not like this, like, hey, let's take some cookies over. It's like, well, who are those people? Right? Like, like I, we're the home team, and they're the visitors. Like, this can happen in our neighborhoods. I think one place where we do see this happen is sometimes in our churches, even in our own church. Like, hey, look, I've been here. I'm a founding member of this church, or I've been here forever. And like, who are all these new people? Or like, why did these people use the sanctuary? <laughs> Do you know what the Apostle Paul calls that? He calls it being in the flesh. And I'm not making that up. He actually says early in the passage in verse 11, he says, therefore, remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh... Like you were, you were in the flesh. This is, and it's not, when Paul talks about being in the flesh, he's not talking positively. But listen to also what he says. He says, he goes on to say, you Gentiles were in the flesh and you were called, you were called uncircumcision. Now, the word for uncircumcision, the word for circumcision is peritome. You would expect the word for uncircumcision to be aperitome, the non-circumcision. It's not. It's actually a more pejorative term because the Gentiles didn't make it up. It was the people of Israel who made up a, a derogative term about the Gentiles. Because what Paul says is that was done in the flesh by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh. Like those distinctions, 
those kind of pejorative terms that get thrown back and forth, that's not the way that God is doing that. It's in the flesh. Here's one of the things to think about. Anytime the people of God show up, anytime God is doing the work, there are three things that you know are going to show up. When the people of God show up, when revival happens, when God does a work, you know that the Spirit is going to show up. You know that the Spirit is going to show up. When revival happens, you know that the Spirit will show up. There's two other things you know will show up anytime the people of God gather. The flesh will show up. The Spirit of God will show up. The flesh will show up as well. And the third thing is the devil. Anytime the people of God show up, and I'm not saying that that means that like, you're the devil or anything like that. I'm just saying there is an interlocking directorate of anti-human and anti-God powers that are trying to get into God's kingdom and overthrow God's kingdom. So when the Spirit works, you know that that interlocking directorate of powers is trying to undermine it. And sometimes he does that externally, and sometimes he does it internally in our own lives. Like when the neighbors move in down the house, down move into a house down the road, and you're like, "Well, do I am I skeptical about them, or do I go bring cookies to them?" Like there's this internal thing, and it's like, "Look, Jesus would probably take cookies over. He'd probably take really good cookies over, like the best ones, not store bought, like homemade, right? He'd probably do that. Like he probably wouldn't be like, like, hey, I'm just I'm not going to be skeptical about them. I'm not going to think I'm not going to." Like, oh, they don't deserve to be here. Like, I'm just going to give them the stink eye for a while. I'm going to look at them sideways. I'm not going to face them and look. I'm going to look at them this way. Right? Whatever it is. Like, that, look, that's the flesh. That's in the flesh. And I think there's something, there's something about us that we need, we, need to, we need to say, look, the Spirit is going to show up and we want to lean into the Spirit. The flesh is always going to show up and we need to say, we need to distinguish between what is the Spirit and what is the flesh. And we certainly need to distinguish, because sometimes the flesh is like, it, sometimes the flesh is like, um, uh, it's just idiosyncrasies or sometimes dysfunction or flat out sin. Like, it could be, it's a, it's a mix of all that stuff. Dis, like it's, if it's idiosyncrasy, it's like, okay, well, whatever. If it's dysfunction, you've got to confront that. If it's sin, you have to really confront that. Sometimes the devil shows up, and you really need to be able to tell the difference between the spirit and the devil, or even the flesh and the devil, right? All three of those things are going to show up. And what Paul is saying here is that, look, at one time you were far off. And look, for one reason or another, this whole covenant, this th- covenant thing, it went off the tracks. And it didn't go off the tracks because of God. It went off the tracks because of the flesh. And I'm not saying that it went off the tracks because of the Jewish people. Like, look, this is all redeemed because of the Jewish people, right? Because Jesus was Jewish and everybody who followed him was Jewish. Like, we're here because faithful Jews were the ones who have followed Jesus. And so we need, we need to understand that this is not about anti-Semitism or anything like that. And even like the, 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 the church, and there's all kinds of historical reasons why the church today is primarily a Gentile institution, okay? And we can talk, we could, maybe we could go in the weeds on that one. I don't know if you guys have been listening to the, In the Weeds. Blessings on you if you have, okay? But the idea is that God is the one who initiated this. Sometimes the flesh can move, it, move us off in the wrong direction. And God says, I need to come down and I need to renew the covenant, And the Apostle Paul can say, look, God has renewed the covenant. I want to tell you Gentiles 
At one time you were far off, but God has brought you near. God has brought you near by the blood of Messiah. He's forgiven your sins. He's called you his people. He's committed himself to you. Sometimes we let that home team versus visitor show up in a church context. Who is this building for? Who is salvation for? God justifies the ungodly, everybody. Who is the gospel for? It's for us, but it's also for every man, woman, and child out in this community and in the world. Who are the blessings of God for? Guys, we're the home team. If you've heard the gospel and you've responded to it and you're here, like we are, we're the home team. We, we're at home today. Like if I'm giving you a pep talk, like here we are, guys, we're at home. The crowd's for us. Like here, we are at home. But here's the deal. The gospel is for the visitors. And one day, we would never even see a distinction between home and visitor. We would simply live a life that preached the gospel to anybody that we came in contact with. What I love, we have this thing at Hume Lake in the the purpose statement. It begins with, we want every person who comes in contact with this global ministry to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now, Hume Lake is a Christian camp, and it's a lot largely youth camp. But in our board meeting, we're talking about, we want the UPS guy to become a believer. We want the Cisco guys who deliver the food, we want them to become believers. We want every person who comes in contact with this global ministry to experience salvation in Jesus. One of the things that was super awesome to me um, yesterday in our CPR training, like at the end, I mean, we had an awesome time. Actually, we had, it was a really fun time. You guys were like, you're weird. Um, like, it was, it was really fun. And at the end, we actually, there was one girl, Annalisa, who was there. She wasn't part. She was just doing her recertification. And the, 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 the person who was doing the training was like, look, I, I really like this group. This group was really fun. And Annalisa was like, yeah, I had a great time. Thank you guys for welcoming me in. And we're like, hey, you're part of Taft Avenue Community Church. Like, I was like, every person who comes in contact with any person in this church has access to God. We're the home team. And we don't want to be the home team that doesn't make a place for the visitors, right? We want to be a home team who's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Look, we're not against you. Bring it in. Like, bring it in. Because Jesus came and preached peace to those who are far off. To those that Paul describes without hope and without God in the world. Jesus came to say, tell those people peace. And I just, I, look, when I say without hope and without God in this world, who comes to mind to you? Just, it's going to be different for every person. It might be an individual, it might be a type of person. This is what I want us to do. We're going to pray in just a second. I want you to pray that God would give you opportunity to offer the peace of salvation to that person. You're like, that's not what I signed up for coming in here today. I came to worship God. Like, don't rock my boat, Pastor Craig. Look, God came. He sent Jesus to preach peace to those who are without hope and without God in this world. 
And he says, will you join me in that mission? Let's pray, let's pray. Father, we just want to begin just affirming you are our God, we are your people, and that is not our own doing. Father, you have obligated yourself to us, and we, we cannot say enough or loudly enough thank you. It is by grace we have been saved. We have no boasting. We can't boast like the home team. And Father, even as we think about this phrase that Paul uses, you are without hope and without God in this world. Father, someone comes to mind for us. And we just want to pray. We want to pray. We want to pray with the audacity that you would actually answer that prayer, that you could actually make a way that that person could experience the peace of salvation by grace, through faith, in Jesus. And so, Father, we want to pray. I want to pray, and I want to encourage everyone here to pray the same thing, to ask that, God, would you give me an opportunity to preach peace to someone who is far off? Father, we love you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.